We're in the fourth and final week of our series, Call the Test. Now, you can go on our website or listen to our podcast if you have missed any of the first three. How many agree and understand that tests are very important? Tests are very important. Uh, tests reveal many, many, many things. Aren't you thankful that the surgeon is tested before they are allowed to operate? Well, today we're going to talk about the fact that we should test ourselves. See, see, not only are we tested by God, not only are we tested by other people, but we should test ourselves. How many of you ever, have you have ever studied for a test? How did you study? Well, well, you studied by testing yourself, right? You studied by testing yourself. You, you, you took the, the test before the test. Uh, you gave some material or you gave a book to somebody and you said to them, ask me some questions from this book or ask me some questions from this material. Or you made a, a, a series of questions and you gave it to them and you asked them to test you. Uh, you, you. You took the test yourself before being tested by the teacher. Here's what I know, and that is when we test ourselves before the actual test, the outcome of the real test is usually much better. Would you agree with me this morning? Let me suggest three areas in our lives where we should test ourselves. First of all, we should test our salvation. Yeah, we should test our salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5, Paul writes, and Paul says, examine yourselves to see, say to see. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. So let me give you two questions to ask today that will help you test your salvation. The first question that I would ask you and encourage you to ask yourself today, and that is, ask yourself the question, do I have a proper understanding of salvation? How many, how many believe that's a good question to be asking ourselves? Do, do I have a proper understanding of salvation? Do I understand why I need to be saved? Do I understand how I can be saved? In the book of Genesis, it says that God made man perfect. But it goes on to say that man was seduced by Satan. And because of man's seduction by Satan, the Bible says that sin entered the world. And the Bible says that sin separated man from God. That, that's the bad news. The good news is the Bible also says that God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to be the bridge that would bring man back to God. How many are thankful for the bridge this morning? Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking about Adam, when he sinned, when he sinned, sin was then passed on to every man, boy or girl, every person born after Adam inherited the sin gene. Just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and it goes on to say, and eternal death through sin. But verse 21 says, but through one man, Jesus. Grace appears, which leads to eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You ought to be able to quote it. You hear it nearly every Sunday around here. For by grace are you saved through faith. Verse 9 says, not of, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is a gift from God. So we should ask ourselves, do we have a proper understanding 
of salvation? Do we understand that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn salvation? Do we understand that there is nothing that we can ever, ever do to save ourselves? But also do we understand that what we can't earn has been given to us as a free gift? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible that even though there's nothing we can do to merit salvation, nothing we can ever do to make ourselves deserving of salvation, but but on the other hand, the other hand that we have been given, we've been given salvation as a free gift through the Son of of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through this gift called grace. Do we understand that in order to be saved, we must place our faith in God's grace? Pastor, what do I have to do to be saved? What are the good things? What's the list? What's the list? Well, well, the list is simply, there are only two things on the list. The only two requirements for salvation is God's grace and our faith. It just simply is what God did for us on the cross in his son, Jesus Christ, and then us placing our faith for our salvation in the finished work of Jesus Christ on earth the cross. Well, the second question we should ask ourselves is, is there any proof of our salvation? Well, that's a good question to ask. Is there any proof of our salvation? Let me tell you that the proof of salvation is change. I said the proof of salvation is change. Now, hear me, hear me clearly this morning. We don't change. Hear me now. We don't change in order to be saved. We change because we are saved. See, change is not a requirement in order to be changed. Well, I've got to change in order to be saved. No, no, change is not a requirement in order to be saved, but change is the proof that we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. See, see, when you serve, when you serve Satan, you look like him, you talk like him, you act like him, and you associate with him and associate with his people. But on the flip side of that, when you serve Jesus, you begin to act like him, you begin to look like him, you begin to talk like him, or you begin to associate with him, and you begin to associate with his people. Let me ask you the question this morning, is there any proof of your salvation? Let me ask you this this morning, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 1 John chapter number 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, Now by this we know that we know him. Speaking of Jesus. By this we know that we know him. How do we know whether we know him or not? Well, the writer says, if we keep his commandments. That's how we know if we know him. That's how we know if we are genuinely saved. If we are genuinely saved, we will keep his commandments. And we don't keep his commandments to be saved. We keep his commandments because we we are saved. By this we know that we know him if... Say if, if we keep his commandments. Notice what else it says, verse 4. He who says, I know him. Well, anybody can say, I know him. Anyone can claim to be saved. But it says, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. A what? He's not beating around the bush, is he? Amen. He must be a bulldog. 
He who know, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. How many know there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are not genuinely Christians? Am I being judgmental? No, I'm just making a statement. But, but the word of God tells us that if we are a Christian, there's going to be some evidence He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. How do we know whether we're really saved or not? How do we know whether someone is genuinely a Christian or not? By their fruit, by looking at their life and see how it measures up to the word of God. How many still tracking with me this morning? We believe it's a good thing for us periodically to test our salvation. Not only should we test our salvation, we should also test our sanctification. We should test our sanctification. That's a word you don't hear very much in church anymore. It's about all I heard growing up as a kid, but you don't hear much about it anymore. But it is still a very vital, vital word and a very vital question. We need to test our Sanctification. Pastor, what in the world is sanctification? I ain't never heard that term. What in the world is that? Well, to be sanctified simply means to be set apart. To be set apart. See, as Christians, even though we are in this world, we should not be of this world. How many believe and how many know that there should be a drastic difference between saints and sinners? We should act different, we should think different, and we should be different. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. You know, too many Christians today are all anxious about trying to to be accepted and trying to blend in when actually we have not been called to blend in, we have been called to stand out. If we truly live the Christian life, we will make sinners uncomfortable around us. I said if we genuinely, truly live the Christian life, then we're going to make sinners uncomfortable around us. Now hear me this morning, I'm not saying that we should condemn them. It's not our job to condemn the sinner, and we should not be looking down our, our, you know, our sanctified, pious noses at somebody that, you know, some sinner. No, I'm, I'm not saying that we should condemn them. Here is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they will condemn themselves. If you truly live the Christian life, if you truly live the lifestyle of a child of God, you will make sinners uncomfortable around you. And even though you do not condemn them, they will condemn themselves as they begin to compare their unrighteousness and their ungodliness. They begin to compare that to the way we live and our sanctified, our set-apart life. How many still tracking with me this morning? Let me suggest two things about sanctification. First thing I want to talk about is the process, the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a process, and we are all at different stages and different levels in the process, and that's very important that you understand, that you understand, and, and stop being so judgmental about some other Christian that maybe is not walking where you're walking. Well, listen, you maybe have been walking with, you know, I've been walking with the Lord nearly all of my life. I've been full-time ministry 46 years. I read the Bible every day. It's part of my job, okay? 
And so I ought to be at a different level in my relationship with God. I ought to be at a different level in my sanctification than, than, than just someone, you know, that is going to work and working 10, 12 hours a day and, you know, doing all of the things. That, listen, we need to understand that everybody's at a different level and a different stage in this process of sanctification. And you are not today where you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or at least hopefully you are not. Let me give you four ways in which this process of sanctification works in our life. First of all, it begins by the Savior. By the Savior. Jesus begins the process of sanctification at salvation. At salvation, this process of sanctification begins. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So there is a measure of sanctification that comes at salvation. When we are salvation, we are set apart. Hebrews 9 and 14 says the blood of Christ can cleanse our conscience. So so we're talking about the process of sanctification. It begins by the Savior, but it doesn't stop there. But then it continues and it goes by, it works by the Spirit. It doesn't just work by the Savior, it also works by the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Sanctification comes through the Holy Spirit. This is why we need to understand that there is another, uh, there is something else available to us after salvation, and it's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are saved through Christ, through the blood of Jesus, through receiving him and all the things we've already already said. But after salvation, there is another step. There's something else that the Lord wants to do, and that is he wants to take us to a new dimension. He wants to take us to a new level. He wants to baptize or immerse or fill us to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And so, and so the Bible says that we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit. So that is why, another reason why it is so important that we be filled with the Spirit, and not only that we be filled with the Spirit, but then after we are filled with the Spirit, that we learn to walk in the Spirit. Talking about the process of sanctification. Well, it, sanctification comes by the Savior. It comes by the Spirit, but it also comes by the Scriptures. Sanctification comes by the scriptures. John 17 and 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 says, he sanctifies the church and cleanses the church with the washing of water by the Word. So the Word of God, the Scriptures, are, are a part of the process of sanctification. It begins at salvation, continues as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and as we fill, then as also as we fill our lives with the Scriptures. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important that we read the Scriptures. That's why it's important that we put the Scriptures in us, because the Scriptures are part of the process of sanctification. See, too many people get stuck at salvation. Too many people get stuck at salvation. Listen, salvation is our new birth. Salvation is our new birth, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Who doesn't love a newborn baby? I mean, think about it. They are sweet. They are soft. They are cuddly. They are totally innocent. Who doesn't love a newborn baby? But listen, when you be... 
But then you begin to suspect that something is wrong if after a period of time they're not growing, if after a period of time they're not walking, if after a period of time they're not talking, if after a period of time they are not able to communicate with you, you begin to suspect there might be something wrong. Hear me, salvation is just the beginning. After salvation, we should begin to grow. And we grow as we spend time with our Savior through prayer. We grow as we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, and begin to be walking and be led by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we continue to grow as we read the Scriptures daily, as we feed ourselves spiritual nourishment. Oh, as we become, we come back on Wednesday night. We don't just come to Sunday morning celebration service, but we come back on Wednesday night for cultivation. We come back on Wednesday night for disciples. Discipleship. We come back on Wednesday night so that we can get some teachers that have been teaching, that have been studying and been praying and begin to pre- and begin and has been preparing themselves to pour into us the scriptures, pour in us the word of God so that we can be sanctified, so we can be set apart, so that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord. But hear me this morning, not only should this process of sanctification come to us by the Savior and by the Spirit and by the Scriptures, but also, also by self. Self. Yeah, Colossians 3 and 5 says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put put it to death. What's Paul saying? He's saying, do something about it. You do something. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, All who have hope in Christ purifies himself. Does the Savior purify? Yes? The answer is yes. I'll help you, okay? Let me. Does the Savior purify? Does the Spirit purify? Does the Scriptures purify? But then he says, All who have hope in Christ purifies himself purifies himself. How do we do that? Well, we do that, you know, by the scriptures. We do that through prayer. We do that, but we also do that by our own will. Our own will. See, see, God is not the only one involved in our sanctification. We are. As we walk with God, as we read his word, we soon become aware of things in our lives that are not godly. And we don't need a preacher to preach against these things. Now, I'm not saying the preacher shouldn't preach against anything. But listen, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, I just love it when the preacher names sin. You know, he names it. Well, here's what I've discovered as long as I don't name theirs. As long as I don't knock on their door, they love it. Yeah, they want me to get on the, you know, smoke and drink and dip and chewing and cussing and those kinds of things. And, man, you know what? But, man, when I start talking about gossip, we don't need a preacher to preach against these things necessarily. We don't need a Christian friend, you know, to point those things out to us. We, we, we just know. We automatically No, because the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us. How many believe the Holy Spirit is big enough to reveal to us those things in our lives that we need to sanctify, those things that we need to set ourselves apart from? We are a part of the process of our own sanctification by our own free will. We choose what to do and we choose what not to do. 
And I'm not going to necessarily tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do, but, don't, but do me the favor and do the same thing for me. Hello? But not only do I want to talk to you about the process of sanctification, but also I want to talk to you about the purpose. The purpose of sanctification. What is the purpose? Well, obviously the first one is to purify us. That's what it's all about, setting us apart. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, May God himself sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of sanctification? Well, first of all, the first purpose is to to purify us, to purify us. But secondly, not only is sanctification, the purpose of sanctification is not only to purify us, but is also to position us. And I guarantee you've never thought about this before, and I never did either until I studied uh, this message and came across this scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21 says, those who cleanse themselves, who what? Cleanse themselves. We're a part of the process. To those who cleanse themselves will be what? Will be instruments for special purposes. Did you hear it? Those who cleanse themselves or sanctify themselves will be instruments for special purposes. Say special purposes. They will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Notice notice special purposes and prepared and any good work. So, so evidently, evidently sanctified people qualify, qualify themselves for ministries that unsanctified people are not qualified for. See, sanctification positions us or places us at the front of the line for certain opportunities. Maybe, maybe you're wondering why this one gets used this way and that one gets used that way and why can't I be used like this and why can't I be used that? Listen, I don't know. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it's possible. I'm possible. Listen, according to this scripture, there is a difference in sanctified people and unsanctified people and sanctified people qualify themselves for ministries, for opportunities that unsanctified people are simply not qualified, at least at the moment, for. How many are still tracking with me this morning? Third purpose of sanctification is to prepare us, to prepare us for Christ's coming. I've got good news and I've got bad news this morning. The good news is Jesus is coming back. How many believe that? Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, if I go away, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you can be also. The good news is Jesus is coming back. The bad news is he's not coming back for everybody. Now, coming back for everybody. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27 says, Christ loved the church enough to die for it. He sanctified it and he cleansed it by his word so that he might have a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it will be holy and without blemish. And 1 John 3 and 3 says, whoever has the hope of Christ's return purifies himself just as he is 
pure. Well, the purpose of sanctification is to prepare us for another world. Did you hear me? I said one of the purposes of sanctification is to prepare us for another world. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but maybe, just maybe, just maybe the reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet. Pastor, why hasn't Jesus returned? The apostle Paul wrote his writings thinking Jesus was going to come in his lifetime. He said, we, not you. He included himself in the rapture. He included himself in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, Pastor, why all of these years, all of these decades, all of these centuries, oh, why? Why hasn't Jesus come back? I, I don't, I'm not saying I have the answer, but I'm saying that maybe the reason why Jesus has not returned yet is because his bride, his bride, the church, maybe it is because his bride is too attached to this world. Because who would want to marry somebody that was in love with another? Did you hear me this morning? I said, who in the world would want to marry somebody when you knew that person was was in love with somebody else? And why doesn't Jesus come for his church today? Maybe it is because, maybe it is because who wants to marry? Who wants to marry somebody that is more attached to someone else? Maybe it is because we have become so attached to this world that we are more attached to this world than we are to the world to come. Listen, it's through sanctification that the saints gradually, say gradually. Through sanctification, the saints gradually turn loose of this world and all of its attractions so that they can begin to desire the attractions of another world. Hear me this morning. We should test ourselves. Ask yourself today, am I more attracted to this world or to the world to come? And am I more spiritual or am I more worldly? Are my desires more earthly or heavenly? Would I rather be in God's presence or man's presence? All right, let's take a quick peek at the third area we should test this morning. I got four minutes and 24 seconds to do 10 minutes worth of preaching. I'm not going to make it. Number three, test our stewardship. We need to test our stewardship. First Corinthians 4 and 2, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. What is a steward? A steward is someone who manages somebody else's possessions, people, or property. See, we are managers of everything and everyone that God has placed in our life. Everything we have in our hands, everything we have at our disposal, everything we have at our, at our command, we are managers of everything and everyone that God has placed in our life. And one of these days, we're going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of everything and every person, every possession, every person, every piece of property, and how we managed it. Second Corinthians 5 and 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You've heard me say it many times. One day God is going to say to us, what did you do with what I gave you? What kind of a steward, what kind of a manager were, were you of what I trusted you with? We should test our stewardship in two areas. First of all, we need to test our faithfulness. Test our faithfulness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Paul writes, and he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. And Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I make you ruler over a lot. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Ask yourself this morning, how faithful am I? Test yourself. Ask yourself, how faithful am I? Ask yourself, would God's work flourish or flounder if it depended upon me? If God's work depended upon me, would it flourish or would it flounder? Ask yourself, how faithful am I to pray? How faithful am I to witness? How faithful am I to give? How faithful am I to serve? Not only should we test our faithfulness, we should also test our fruitfulness. Test our fruitfulness. Colossians 1 and 10 says, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice two words, fruitful and increasing. That's what our life should be, should be like, our Christian walk. We should have some fruit. We should be fruitful and that fruit should be ever increasing. Well, we should test our, our fruitfulness in two areas. First of all, we should test the quality of it. Test the quality of it. Of it in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. So ask yourself, ask yourself as you test your. The quality of your fruit. Ask yourself, ask yourself, how loving am I? How joyful am I? How peaceful am I? How long-suffering am I? How kind am I? How good am I? How faithful am I? How gentle am I? How much self-control do I have? Test our fruitfulness. First of all, test the quality of it. But then after you test the quality of it, then test the quantity of it. Test the quantity of it. Second Corinthians 9 and 10 says, May he who supplies seed to the sower supply and multiply. Say multiply. And multiply the seed you have sown and increase. Say increase. And increase the fruits of your righteousness. Ask yourself, how fruitful am I? Am I producing any fruit? Well, well here's what I know this morning. That is, you can't produce a harvest if you don't plant any seed. I said, you cannot produce a harvest if you do not plant any seed. I also know this, and that is the type of seeds sown determine the nature of the harvest. If I plant apple tree, I'm going to get pears. No, I'm going to get apples. If I plant pears, I'm going to get peaches. No, no. The, the type of seeds sown determine the nature of the harvest. Let me say this in closing this morning. Today is Selection Sunday. Today is Selection Sunday for our C groups. Now, C groups are small groups that meet once a month in order to build community. And their two main purposes are to care and to connect. That's what C groups are all about. They, are, they have two purposes, to care and to connect. So let me say this this morning as nicely as I can, but let me say it. If you don't feel cared for or connected to the grace place, I only have one question. Are you a member of a C group? Because this is the main way that we endeavor to accomplish these two 
things. The only way that we can get community at the Grace Place with eight or 900 people who say they come to church, some come once a month, some come two or three times a month, some come twice a year, but the only way that we can get people cared for and people connected uh, is through breaking us down into smaller groups, and we call them C groups. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you planted any seeds through involvement in this ministry? Let me get some help on the platform this morning. Have you planted any seeds through involvement in this ministry. Because remember, the type of seed sown will determine the nature of the harvest. Proverbs 18 and 24 says, someone who has friends must themselves be friendly. Let me say it, what will fit this message today, and it is not, and, and, it, and, it, is, and it is scriptural. And that is the only way that you're going to have friends is if you plant seeds of friendliness. The only way you're going to have friends is if you plant seeds of friendliness. Someone who has friends has to themselves be friendly, Proverbs said. The harvest of friends comes by sowing seeds of friendliness. I urge you to join a seed group. Sow some seeds of friendship in order to harvest some friends. Our takeaway for the message today, 1 Corinthians 11 and 31 says that if we would test ourselves, we would need to be tested by anyone else. Here's what I know, and that is the test before the test will determine the results of the real test. And when we test ourselves first, and we discover where we are short, what we know and what we don't know, what we strong in and what we're weak in, when we test ourselves and then we do something about our findings, if we'll test ourselves, when the real test comes, we'll make a lot better grade on the test. Amen.